there, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles for all of us who are looking for faith and spirituality beyond the confines and the fences of institutional religion. This is episode number 36. It's the 11th episode of season two of the podcast. And our guest for this episode is Heather Moore, who is here to talk with us about weird church. It's one of my favorite topics that we've tackled here since we started the podcast uh, well over a year and a half ago. Heather is a native to the gamer, geek, nerd, cultural scene, and has a lot of really interesting thoughts about what faith and spirituality look like among a demographic that the church largely does not really know how to talk with. Heather talks a lot about the importance of friendships and authenticity and how those things happen both in physical and virtual spaces. So please join me in giving a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Heather Moore. I think there's something for those who have been hurt by the church to find... um, to find lived experience somewhere else in a place that is fostering of love and connection and growth outside of some place that says, I have all of these things. You need me. Welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast, Heather. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> it's so cool to have you here. So, so um, yeah. So our guest for this episode is my good friend, Heather Moore, and we're going to talk about Weird Church. And I'm not even sure either of us knows what that means, but we're going to figure it out as we go. But um, so before we get started, Heather, why don't you just kind of give the the folks um, a little little background, a little bio, a little information about who the awesome Heather Moore is. And then uh, then I've got a few questions, but we'll just these are usually pretty organic. We'll just kind of see how it rolls. Sure. Um, I'm Heather Moore. I'm uh, recently ordained deacon in the West Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. God, that goes on forever. Um, oh, it's a long thing. <laughs> it is a whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm uh, currently serving two small churches, and um, I'm a millennial left in the church, so that's a fun thing. I'm a nerd, gamer, um sarcastic person always in the chat. So uh, I don't know what else to add to that. That's kind of a good summary. I, I think sarcastic person in the chat is like the definitive statement of who Heather is. Kinda, yeah, that yeah. sums it up quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. It's, every time you and I are in a meeting together, like the chat is always the most entertaining part of of whatever it is that we have to endure on the screen of the Zoom. Heck yeah. 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 So we were, you and I were talking about, um, I I think it was in some, a a group maybe that you and I are both in and this idea, this, this word came out of your mouth about weird church. And I thought immediately, oh, that's a podcast episode. So, (laughs) so when we talk, so let's, let's talk a little bit about weird church. Like when, when you use that phrase, what do you mean by that? Well, so I'm trying to uh, rack my brain because there's a lot that comes out when I'm in uh, informal meetings that um, (laughs) I have to recall. But um, what I vaguely remember talking about weird church is just like the authentic expression of church that isn't super formal, that's not um, a lot of hymns and structure and, and, you know, formalism, um, but more so organic, uh, like gatherings that are, I don't want to say like youth group gatherings around the fire. Cause that feels very formulaic also. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just something real and honest. Um, that's we'll, we'll start there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, there is like, there's an organic nature to it, right. That it's not, mm-hmm. And and I want to get in. I want to unpack some of this a little bit more as we go along. But like, I, I think when we talk about this concept, and I love the term "weird church." Like, I, I don't know if it's if it's out there in the world or not, or or if, if we're kind of coining it as we go here, or if it's something that's like 
the term exists, but we're still kind of trying to figure out what the meaning is. It, it seems to me that whatever it is we're talking about is something that is like super organic, like not something that you could contrive, um, which presents all kinds of amazing possibilities and, and also presents a lot of challenges to like the institutional church at the same time. Yeah. So there, there are a couple, I would say resources out. There's a book and a couple articles that I scanned just to see if it had been a coin thing. And, um, a, a few years ago, I'd say three or four years ago, there's a book out that's called Weird Church. Granted, I have not read that book, but I just wanted to see if it was a thing out there. Um, and it seems that this term has been used, but nobody really uses it in the same way. So um, when I mean Weird Church, I'm not talking about like uh, neo-Orthodoxy or, you know, like millennials returning to formulaic uh, like uh, liturgy and that sort of weird church. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm sort of talking about like raw human experience, like meeting each other in the grit of life, um, yeah, kind of weird yeah. church. Yeah, and I, I think that's may, maybe I'm projecting some of my own like prejudices on it. I, prejudice in just an observational way, not like in a judgmental way. But um, I I feel like that that term the way you that we use the term weird in that sense is maybe a particularly like millennial and gen z way of defining that term that it might be harder for for gen x and and boomers to get their heads around because i think i think we a lot of times carry like some pre preconceptions of what we mean by the term weird that are negative and i don't think that that's something that that generationally at least you know, millennials and Gen Z folks carry with it. It's it's more maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost more of a kind of a a point of not pride exactly, but um, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that is a good word for it. Like, to yeah, I think it it could be um, a generational thing. There's definitely a growing comfortability with uh, cultures outside the normal, uh, the norm social expression these days, and I think you know what we're seeing with. Uh, I use this example because it's my own, um, with nerd culture. Now it's part of mainstream culture. And uh, so nerd culture is no longer super weird anymore, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. something that you do in somebody's basement that you don't talk about in your public circles. Um, and so I think maybe this idea of weird church uh, amongst – I'll say millennials and Gen Z is something more normal Um as in, like, it, it, it's something that we can talk about and not feel like we have to have any shame about it or yeah. um, just because it's different than the social expectations. Yeah, yeah. And it, there's something about owning the language of it, too, you know, um, and not not letting what has been normalized define your lived experience, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, in this age of... Uh, so much social media that's available to everyone. You have this digital platform um, and, and, you know, TikTok can radicalize just about anybody. So uh, you have all of these places where you can find uh, your niche of people and find that um, just because where you grew up has a one particular way of life or maybe multiple, I hope. Um, that doesn't mean that it's weird per se. It's just not something that's the same. Yeah. 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 And before we dive too far, cause I, I think, you know, it's important to kind of get some foundational understandings out there when we're talking about these kinds of like weird church, like nerd culture, things like that. I think it's really important for people to understand that these are we're talking about communities that exist both in in person and in virtual spaces like in, in online communities right and and equally so right that so it might be a bunch of people sitting in somebody's living room playing D&D &D, and that's you know sort of a piece of that kind of culture um or it might be you know you, you you've talked a lot in in some other conversations we've had about you know Twitch streams and um, connecting with people in those kind of spaces. And the virtual expressions of that are every bit as legitimate as the physical expressions, right? 
Oh yeah. I definitely think, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to boil it down to generation mm, words. I'm not going to boil it down to generations uh, because I think we're starting to see even the different um, older groups align with uh, their media consumption on Facebook, right? But um, my generation and and younger and others are are looking to Twitch for connection and looking to uh, digital platforms, you know, the the Twitters of today to find community where uh, they can't physically be together. And, you know, of course, naturally, now that we're in 2021 with COVID, like, that is a huge part of the shift in church culture even. So yeah. um, I think there's a, a big change in um, the world happening. And even places like Pinterest are um, stopping their leasings for buildings and, and workplace environments. So um, I think the, the culture shift is on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think pandemic times have certainly accelerated a lot of that, but I think a lot of this stuff was already happening pre-pandemic. Like a lot of online community formation in, in various forms was already happening, and then this, you know, like global lockdown hit. And in a lot of ways, I think it was folks who were already experiencing community online sort of had a head start. When we, especially when we speak in terms of like what the the church, so to speak, did, like people who were already comfortable in those spaces adapted very quickly, right? There was like, I, we hear the word, you know, in, in church world all the time about how, how many people had to pivot and all the times they had to pivot to the point where you're sick of hearing the word pivot. Oof. I, I don't, yeah, right. I, I don't think there was a lot of pivoting for people who were already sort of operating in those virtual spaces. I think it was just kind of adapting some stuff you were already doing maybe. Um, but, but it was, it was a, a more natural, again, more organic kind of transition. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think um, even just in my circle of, of friends here uh, in town, we, of course, would gather in person, but a lot of our relationship is um, on Twitch and checking in on each other's video game streams. We would have group chats and Discord. Like The, the way our community shows up is... Um, very electronic, and that's pretty natural for us. So the fact that we have ongoing chat threads, uh, you know, pretty much twenty four seven, was kind of an, a natural expression of our our friendship. So um, in the pandemic age, the people who have that community are um, already plugged in, and I think also, you know, to connect the weird church aspect. Um, it is a justice issue there, um, especially for folks in the disability community uh, like myself. Sometimes being out in public is a really hard thing to do. There's so many barriers to navigate. And um, online, I can do that from the safety of my own home. And I also can meter when I engage and when I don't. And that that gives me some assurances that otherwise um, being in church physically or being um, in a public space, I don't have the same access to. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's an important part of the conversation. Yeah, I think so. I, I, so all of that makes me think um, because I, you know, like a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast, you know, we, we're kind of built around um, the experience of spiritual deconstruction, wherever you might find yourself like in that. I, I kind of think of it more as a, a spiral dynamic structure than a, than a, um, a timeline or a, a linear sort of pattern. Um, but wherever we find ourselves like deconstructing spiritually or deconstructing just from the church, you know, as an institution or wherever that is, um, I, I think, I think what you're talking about, like this weird church concept has got to be really interesting for maybe for folks who have never heard of that, but are experiencing some kind of deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh it's a really important moment to stop and say, Oh, the experience I had in church does not have to be the only definition for what church is. Uh, 
can be or should be. And um, that's a really powerful moment, um, a really liberating moment to say that um, the harms that have uh, been done, whether perpetuated or um, whether they have been sort of inklings of pain over the years, uh, that doesn't have to be the only narrative. And I think that's a really important way to talk about the the freedom of um, spiritual expression. Because, you know, what we see in a lot of um, American Christianity today is very uh, legalistic rules and regulations and um, a lot of requirements of people. And that's hard. That's yeah. um, dangerous. And it, it hurts people. It's... Um, it can be emotional and spiritual abuse. And um, to give Weird Church a place to say, we, we don't want to do that. Um, we don't want it to be whatever this lived experience is that you have already um, is really powerful because um, it can be whatever, right? It can be sitting around in a group chat. It can be uh, today, a Zoom call. It could be um, sitting on Twitch, um, kvetching about some silly thing that somebody did on the internet. Like it doesn't have to be one formula, right? Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. you don't have to get on the kneeler and, and pray and do the thing. You can just say, yeah, I um, am going to sit on a Zoom chat with weird Methodist Twitter and we're going to like spam the chat with sarcastic, funny, like John Wesley quotes, right? Like, <laughs> Wait, there, there's a weird Methodist Twitter and I don't. I don't have that yes. on my phone. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. All right. I'll figure it out. Search hashtag WMT. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Oh, man. So wait, everything you were just saying was kind of making me think like, when, when we're having this conversation about this thing we're calling Weird Church, I can imagine that folks who have more of what we might call a, a traditional viewpoint of church, not necessarily traditional theology, but just like an idea of what church is supposed to be, you know, like with pews and hymns and prayers and sermons and, you know, all of that stuff. What we're talking about here is not imposing that structure on a different group of people, right? And and a few times you've used a word that really struck me. You've talked about friendship a lot. Like to me, it sounds to me like these friendships, these authentic relationships are really much more at the heart of what we're talking about when we talk about Weird Church than any kind of like formal, organizational, institutional, structural, liturgical, like I can put a bunch of, <laughs> string a bunch of words together, right? But Sure. But it's really like, it, it comes down to relationality. Yeah. And I, I think the the relationality is something in the institutional church that is what sustains and keeps people there, right? The the relationships are um, what you build after you've already gone there a while. But I think for weird church, um, whether it's in-person, asynchronous, whatever, there's an ongoing kinship of um, a shared amount of, of some human part of existence that um, you want to keep sharing. And um, whether that's a, a place of kindness in the world, whether that's a place of love that you've not felt in some other location, or um, whether you just like the same sports ball teams, um, that's that's the kind of um, relationship building that community is based around. I mean, we see this in um, really just everywhere uh, with the... Uh, across the religious spectrum, even um, community forums, right? You gather around some common idea. But I think with Weird Church, the intentionality of that relationship is very key. Um, so I don't want to say that it's just another community, right? Because I think that loses some of the um, allure of why it, why it should be considered church. But I think the intentional intentional relationality, if I can use some fancy language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I think that's at the heart of it because um, we see all of these different ministries, right? I'm thinking like Shane Claiborne and the neighborhood barbecue, right? The community garden, um, intentional living, like, like I was in, in in Dallas and seminary at Perkins. Um, that's it, It's very, I hate to use the word again, but it's intentional, right? You yeah, have yeah. a very specific focus of, of what you're common mission and purposes, but that's, I don't even like to use those language uh, words because that's very institutional. Yeah. 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 Oh man. I've got so many questions swirling around in my head and I'm trying (laughs) to figure out how, what order to ask them in. Um, I I think, you know, maybe just to kind of continue this thread, because I think it's helpful for, for folks who are, you know, still in sort of the institutional church to understand these new expressions of church that are beginning to emerge, right? Weird church is one of them. There's a lot of different ways that we're starting to find that church exists outside of, outside the fences, you know, like kind of like our, our um, tagline says for accidental tomatoes, like outside the walls, but also outside the structures, right? That, that it, it really is about relationships. It really is about community and we don't have to impose all of that other stuff. But I wonder if this is, if one of the reasons that the church has, when I say the church, I just kind of mean the institution in general, has such a hard time getting its head around these sorts of things is because for so long, the church has been convinced that it has all of the answers to life, right? For so long that it stopped even listening to, to what the real questions even are. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I think the idea that um, for a while in American history that the church was the centerpiece of your social culture, um, we are still seeing the remnants of that. And, um, you know, the the baby boomers generation, like even if you didn't want to go to church, that's where you did community. And um, now that's not the case, at least um, in our small sector of the woods, um, in our neck of the woods. (laughs) So I think the the changing of that, um, we're seeing that the institutional church does not and probably never did have all of the answers, but we also see the people changing in such a way that we can admit that um, the church doesn't have to be the be all and end all. And quite frankly, if the institution is only existing to serve itself, then it's already lost its integrity, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I think um that's a really careful balance there. I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, the church can't be authentic. Um I have experienced the church as being authentic as well, but um I think there's something for those who have been hurt by the church to find um, to find lived experience somewhere else in a place that is fostering of love and connection and growth outside of some place that says, I have all of these things. You need me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a hard. Yeah. Right. And, and I think just, just by way of a little commentary, because I, I spent, when I was in seminary, I spent a lot of, a lot of my focus was on um, understanding what at the time we were calling postmodernism. You know, that, that term has fallen out of favor. It kind of bums me out because I think it's still as it's a really important, like cultural and phil- philosophical movement that is still um, in our midst. It just kind of got to be an overused buzzword and, and we got sick of using, but, but part of one of the tenets of postmodernism of people who, who would identify as postmodern is a loss of trust and faith in institutions in general, you know? Um, and, and I, when I, when I used to, when I was kind of like in my last years of youth ministry and, um, and my, my kids were, you know, kind of outgrowing that and, and my theology was outgrowing it. Um, one of the things I kind of remember trying to explain to people was, you know, we have to remember you know, as, as like, you know, I'm Gen X, you know, the people I would work with were mostly boomers and, um, and Gen X folks. And like, we have to remind ourselves that, that millennials and Gen Z are, and, and postmodern folks in general, despite what, what their age is, 
have been lied to their entire lives by every institution that they were told they were supposed to trust. Right. And like, it can start with something as like, just look at TV advertising, right. It, you know, if, if you grew up with a TV set in your house, watching, you know, network TV or cable TV, you were bombarded with ads that were lying to you. Right. And whereas, you know, like my generation and, and folks older than me, kind of knew that it was BS that we were being fed and we had a filter for that and we were okay with it. It never occurred to us how that was affecting like our kids to, <laughs> you know, that wait, I'm, I'm supposed to believe what I'm told, but then clearly this is not true. Like it never occurred to us what that was doing to y'all's brains. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of an explosion there. Uh, you know, as a, a kid seeing the the cute polar bears on the Coca-Cola commercials and, and thinking, oh, well, that's really sweet. And that's an ad, right? Like I have grown up in an age even where the narrative that you can grow up and get an education and and go be your successful self bootstraps mentality is is also a facade right yeah, yeah. like all all of these narratives that we told people um in the 90s and 2000s were not necessarily possible or feasible and um so i think um a, a lot of those stories now that have been perpetuated for a generation of folks uh we can we have the bs meter right yeah the, yeah the I, I don't i won't cuss on here but you know it's it's that bs filter that we we know it when we see it kind of mentality uh -huh. right to pull it out there and um we're not we're not swayed by that that doesn't we don't have any loyalty to that. So to find another expression for us is simply something we have to do to maintain integrity and, and moral, not compromise morals and values, um, which is very important. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener-level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan, and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now, back to the podcast. It, th this whole idea of authenticity, it, like for me, and, and I'm, this may be a little bit of a rant, more of a rant than a question, but like it seems that that's a big thing that the institutional church struggles with is... And it's not, it's not intentional in in authenticity. I think it's just habitual, right? It's just, we, we put on the smiling face, we go sit in the pews, we shake each other's hands, we sing the songs, and we're so used to masking our vulnerability, right? And, and I think that comes to what you were saying about like the BS meter, like the, you know, current generations just aren't having that, that you know, you want to be able to be vulnerable. You want to be able to be authentic. And if the institution where you look for, for spiritual, you know, health and guidance can't offer you that, you've got to figure out another way to get it, right? Yeah, I think um, th there's a really important way to think about this. I, I think that there are a lot of church expressions that are authentic and that they, you know, if you go to an average church and you meet the people, you meet some nice people and you meet some genuine folks. I am thinking of my uh, two churches. I, I have met a lot of really wonderful folks, but um, I think in the changing of culture, we, we stopped putting the finger on the thermometer and finding out where that authenticity is. Oh, and I, yeah. I think the, the change in culture has been a, a focus on, you know, the, the work of the interior and the mental health and the, the checking in on, um, 
what your spirituality is and what it means. And I don't know that the church ever caught up with that. And, you know, I say that, but I I think mental health is still undervalued in a lot of churches and in a lot of social expressions. But I think as people are growing increasingly uncomfortable with what happens in either the world or in the church, you know, it goes both ways there. um, I, I think that the church has not followed suit and has not um, been a place where we talk openly about uh, the fact that so many people are dealing with depression right now in the COVID-19 era, that, um, you know, suicide and relationships are now um, more commonplace, that uh, people are disenfranchised with institutions. We're just not talking about those things that each of us are dealing with, whether it's in our families' lives, in our own lives, in our communities, those are um, things, you know, in, that we're not mentioning. I think the fact that, uh, you know, churches would love to bury their heads and not talk about things like uh, mental health, racism, sexism, um, gender, all of those things, that's a pretty clear indicator that, at least for for me and 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 my friends that's the bs meter right like yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. we can't have even if it's hard conversation if we can't have any kind of um meeting of eyes there um maybe that's not a place i want to be yeah yeah i wonder if um just as you were saying that it 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 popped a new question into my head that again because i don't think as people are trying to be intentionally inauthentic or intentionally um you know, the, the stigmatization of, of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, like everything that goes with that. Like, like you said, we, we kind of bury our heads and try to ignore it. And I don't think it's because people don't care about it, but I do think that maybe, and I don't, maybe this is the question. Is it maybe that acknowledging that is, is so threatening to what you've built your identity around that you just don't know how to navigate those conversations? Yeah, yeah, I certainly think that's a possibility. And, you know, I'm not trying to paint the picture that um, nobody should ever touch the church because they don't want to deal with anything. I I, I think it's hard, though, because, you know, as clergy, we we have a really important role. And what we mirror and um, show in the community is is what is talked about. And if um, the church doesn't want to talk about those things, then they can go on their merry way and never have to deal with it. But um, on the other side of the token, I think there's a, a really spiritual way to talk about all of that range of emotions, right? Mm-hmm. In the church, you know, if we think about some of the Psalms and lamentations, like there's a lot of grief. And if you look at the scripture, like one of my favorites, because it's, it's just utter shite. Job had a really shitty experience of the world. And, you know, we don't talk about that part as much. We don't want to talk about sad because church should be a place of happy feelings, but you know, there's a place for righteous indignation. There's a place for grief. There's a place for, um, the loss of loved ones and yes, also joy. Um, but it's okay for there to be seasons of, um, different life experiences. And that's, that's the honesty that, that we need. Yeah. 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 So, I'm, I'm trying to avoid going down a rabbit trail with the whole Job thing. <laughs> yeah, that that's I, I've I've written some stuff about that recently, and there's like that, you know, the way I was taught, you know, the story of Job, you know, in my upbringing, and then even kind of in my in my theological studies was it, it always wanted to rush to the end of the story, to the redemptive part of the story, and and I don't think that's what Job was even intended for. Um, you know, but that's what institutional Christianity has tried to do for so long is to get you as quickly as possible through the shit that you're dealing with in your life and get you to this happy ending. 
instead of just dwelling in in the crap with you for a while, you know, and and, and I think we're sort of like, and that's painting with really broad strokes. Like there are there are churches and there are pastors and there are lay people who do all of that very very well. Like so, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater on any of that. But I just think kind of institutionally, that's one of those challenges that I, and one of those reasons why I think it's so hard for people to trust the church anymore because it just wants to rush you to the happy ending and not let you get through everything else you've got to get through first, you know? Yeah. I think, um, you know, to go back to the disillusionment that we were sort of talking about with, you know, millennials and Gen Z, I think that has a place in this part of our conversation as well, because there's so much disillusionment, there is no, at least for me, I'll say, um, I'll speak for myself, there's no understanding that life is going to be bliss or happiness even, but, um, you know, a, a life of contentment is even up for grabs. So I think this idea of being disillusioned with the world and institutions, uh, to see a place deal openly and honestly with the muck and mire of daily life, um, that's that's the integrity piece that that's yeah. really missing, I think, um, because if church is just a solution for all of our problems, then like sign me up for the golden ticket, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But but it's not like I I journey alongside people who um, you know with their their chronic doctor's appointments and health, and and it it doesn't it doesn't get better time after time, right? Like it's not one of these magic healing narratives that Jesus does and it it doesn't change their lived experience, right? Me yeah, preaching yeah. a sermon about how you have hope for the world, that, that doesn't change anything except maybe their outlook. But um, so I, I think that's part of this conversation about weird churches, just being able to journey with people in the daily stuff that they see, whether it's food insecurity or money, whether it's, um, you know, hard to navigate social relationships, family drama, all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm not, I don't mean that in a way of like triangulation, but in a way to say like every person has their own stuff and their own hard days to deal with. And we can come together and, um, share what pieces we're comfortable with and know that we don't have to do it by ourselves. Mm, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's the good shit, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, that kind of makes me think about, cause I, in, in the questions I'd sort of typed up that I just used to keep my head from going down 101 rabbit trails. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was sort of like, what do, in, 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 in weird church, what does spirituality look like or what does a quest for spirituality look like? But, but I think maybe part of what I'm hearing anyhow is it's really hard to, to, um, to isolate or silo or what, you know, spirituality from all of the other stuff. Like it's all kind of, it's very holistic. It's part and parcel with all of that, with, with authenticity and community and relationships and all of that. Yeah, so um I'm I'm going to butcher the name but uh Teilhard de Chardin, right? Yeah, says yeah, yeah. that we we are uh spiritual beings and if we operate from that understanding alone that we are enfleshed, right? That God has created us in some way shape or form, then that from the very beginning of it it has spirituality infused. So the the fact that um we live our daily lives and are going about our experience together that's the communal that's the the ecclesia right if we want to yeah. use the greek terms that's the church and um that that's expression together so i think um y you see a lot of this in um the, the liter womanist literature where community is essential because community is the only place where um, there's any care for the women who have been hurt and um, damaged by other 
people, institutions, uh, etc. So I think that the spirituality is infused from the inception. You see it in the, the daily walk, even if it's hard, but that's hard and holy work. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that sort of makes me think about how what's happening in, in the weird church world and, and maybe even more broadly across some of these, what we might call fresh expression sort of movements and things in a way is it's a help, hopefully a helpful critique to the institution. It's not just about, it's not at all about dismantling the institution. Right. And that's, I try to say that a lot in the work that I do. Like, even though my, I, I tend to see my work as being sort of post-institutional, like my my interest isn't in destroying the institution. My my interest is in honestly critiquing and and helping the institution to adapt to new cultural realities. That's what I'm I'm hearing a little bit of that in, in how you're describing the weird church experience too, right? Yeah, I think um there's room to open the table and say, um you have not experienced church in this way, so let's let's add another chair to the table of what church can be, and say that um, this is church too, and here's enough space that we can be uh, okay with the different types of church expressions and still allow you yours. So, I I think it it. I'll phrase it this way. I think the institution is better served by all of these weird, weird Christian movements, right? Yeah. Because if you, if you have all of the places where people can experience community, you can find some, uh, space for people who experience differently and, um, you know, differently isn't bad. It's just something that serves a need there. Um, yeah. So I, I think it can serve the institution if the institution is willing to listen to it. Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of the important question there. Um, right, right. And, and, and to you know, I, I think there are corners of the institution that are beginning to open up to that a little bit. Um, and it's one of the phrases my dad used to use with me all the time that has always stuck with me. Um, he'd always say, "Son, it's a process, not an event." You know. It's, there, you have to let things work out. At the same time, what I'm l- recently learning is that's also kind of a privileged stance to take, mm-hmm. you know, to to be able to wait for things to happen because they don't, you know, impact me directly, right? So how 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 do you kind of live in the tension of that? As, as you were describing, as you were using that language of the table, you know, and adding chairs to the table, this image popped into my head that I just, I wanted to share with you because I think it might be something, an interesting point for conversation. I had this image as you were talking about that of, um, of weird church, so to speak, kind of being the kiddie table at the, at the family <laughs> dinner, but the kiddie table grows to be the main table. And we end up inviting the folks from the big table, you know, to join us at the growing kitty table. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a helpful, like sort of visual image for, for how this all kind of works. Yeah. I definitely think that's a, a good illustration. Um, in, in my family, uh, we have this growing joke that like the kids table is now the adult table. I still, as a 30 year old, am at the kids table, but I, I'm definitely an adult now. And, um, <laughs> I think if we just keep growing that, right, we don't have to put labels on it. It's just yeah, a table. Yeah. yeah. So um, just pull up a chair, like Letty Russell theology style, like let's make it an inclusive space. And um, if you want to sit at the kids table, like, come on, we'll play games. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So what are the, what are the questions I do have um, as – you know, as you work person, like as as a clergy person who you know is um, existing in these spaces, this weird church kind of space, and and um, interacting with um, the people in your various kinds of communities and stuff, how how do you talk about faith and spirituality without it, without the the threat of it being like a bait and switch 
kind of operation. Cause I think that's where a lot of, you know, kind of more traditional church folks either don't know how to navigate that or are afraid that they'll come off that way and don't, don't, you know, engage for that, for that reason. How do you, how do you keep, how do you keep your authenticity? Right. Um, I guess that's kind of the heart of the question. Yeah. I think, um, my approach thus far has been, um, and this is a, a personal rule. It's not necessarily for my church context or whatever. Um, I don't mention that I am a clergy person right away. I talk to the person like I'm just your average human person. I'm experiencing life. Um, and when it feels appropriate, I will bring it up and say, well, you know, it, this is who I am also. Here's another facet of who I am. So I, I think there's part of um, our personal image that is interpreted by folks in ways that can either um, open conversation or shut doors. And I think it's there. There's a natural part of that that um, I want conversation to be open, and I don't want to shut any doors before um, they see that I, I. I don't know. That's not particularly helpful for being like, oh, well, you're a clergy person. Like, get out of my space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I'm. I, I try to portray myself as just another human, and um, I think what happens in the community. Um, because it's a small community, they know I'm a pastor, but they also know that I love to joke and I love to uh, talk about hard stuff and I love to play games and sit with the kids at the Halloween party. Like I, I'm a human. Um, and and cuss so, like a sailor in appropriate motion. Uh, in appropriate spaces. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I think there's part of that, that um, on the one side, I could see somebody feeling like that is a bait and switch. Yeah. Um, but I, I try very intentionally to um, be forthright about my personality first, um, rather yeah, yeah. than, you know, I think in old days, you were a clergy person first, and everything sh was shaped by that, um, that profession, right, that career path. And yeah. I think nowadays, um, People are starting to focus more on who you are as a person and less on what you do and how you do those things. And right. I'm, I'm not saying that that's better or worse, but I, I think I probably navigate on that side that um, in my relationships, in my um, professional capacities, I, I want to meet you as a person where you are. And the only way I can do that is as a fellow uh, human being, right? As yeah. internet will call us. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's not to say that I like, don't talk about faith or spirituality or whatever, but I would absolutely talk about it and maybe never mention that, you know, I serve two small churches of old people. Like that's, right, that's right. not my, hi, I'm, I'm Heather. I'm a pastor. Cause who wants that? <laughs> <laughs> I always have those cringy moments, like when people ask me what I do for a living and I have to say, well, like I'm a pastor. And then I immediately say, but my church meets in a bar. So, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> or we did before COVID. Anyhow, I'm a pastor, um, but not like that. Yeah. And, and if it's, I mean, there's a, there's, there's something sad that you even feel like you have to qualify that like that's, mm -hmm. that's where the cultural um, sort of distrust of the institution leaves you is like, you kind of feel like you shouldn't feel like you have to qualify that, but, but often I, I do. And then, and then when I do, I'm like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. Like, but I think one of the things you're describing and I think, and maybe it's a generational thing, or maybe it's just kind of a, a growing edge of culture is I really think we're becoming more and more interested in people's authentic stories. Right. And, and so your story is your story. If you're a pastor, you're a pastor, right? If you're, you know, what, what whatever it is, that you do and whoever you are, people are willing to allow the space for you to just be that a little more. You know, I, I think we're starting to maybe slowly um, burden people less with those expectations that go with the labels. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I always have trouble as a, a deacon, like I do lots of different things, right? Like sometimes I'm teaching classes at the university. Sometimes I'm preaching. Sometimes I'm talking with 
friends at at a house party pre-COVID-19 about, like, the moral and ethical things at 2 a.m., right? So, like, yeah. I have a lot of different functions, and um, that all is part of me as a person without the labels of what I do. So, yeah, I think yeah. the the authenticity is a really good thing. Um, I just wish there was more of it yeah. in, yeah, if we in could just get churches. If we could just get better at letting our story be our story and owning our story, but not trying to recruit you into my story, right? Mm -hmm. Your story is also your story. Now, if my story has something that's of value to you, then I'm happy to help you, you know, try to figure out what that looks like in your world, you know? Um, but the last thing I want to do is say, I've, I've pretty much got this figured out because, you know, I've got these letters that come after my name <laughs> and the REV that comes before my name. And so you, you know, you can trust me to, to give you the, like, that's kind of some BS that I'm not the really BS meter. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, but, but it's really interesting when you, I, I kind of hate this phrase, but when you meet people where they are, like, I'm not really sure what else. Again, that's kind of churchy language that we've sure. subverted, but but not just meet people where they are, but let them be there. You know, don't don't feel this compulsion to to turn them into you know mini me or to something that they're not. Like let let them let people take the lead on being who they're going to be, and it, and if you get to be a guide or a mentor or whatever in some way in that, a coach, whatever role that is, um, or just a friend that walks, you know, walks through it um, without judgment or agenda. Man, I think there's some big implications for what the church of the future can be if we can grow into that kind of sort of relational authenticity. I wish I had a nickel for every time we've said authenticity in this podcast. I know, but. right? We'd be rich. <laughs> Then we could give it to all of those good organizations that do wonderful stuff already. Right, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think um, in one of my previous professional hats as a chaplain, um, that's really where the rubber meets the road in the the patient rooms where grief and emotion are heavy and um, it, it's a really painful place sometimes to be and you don't always, as as the clergy person or as the chaplain going in, you don't get to mediate what that always looks like. You you kind of are you jump in in the situation if you can provide um, comfort or solace or whatever. Um, sometimes you just have to um, show up, and, and that's all you can do. And I think that's um, leaving it open to whatever people want it to be. Right. Like my my role as clergy is simply showing up and um, offering myself. And if somebody needs something else, um, they'll indicate that or they'll show up in their own way and we'll figure it out together. Yeah, It's not yeah. that I have to uh, convert you or bring you over or even like pray for you in that situation. You know, I could. I could do that later. Um, I think there's a lot of that baggage that is still left over from previous expressions of Christianity where, you know, you have very formalized expectations. And um, so I, I think naturally people are a little shy for that. Um, and even me, like if I'm in the hospital, I don't want a chaplain coming over to me and like praying over me and doing weird hands and stuff like that's that's not that the, no, yeah, yeah, just yeah. no. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's less about um, it's less about showing up with this preconceived expectation of how it's going to go and um, showing up with the opportunity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it's it's funny what happens when you kind of just let love lead rather than like agendas and preconceived like checklists of things to do and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And if you, how do I phrase it? Um, 
if you show up without expectation, you allow the other person in the conversation to exert some uh, level of themselves in in that, right? There's no, uh, or there's less of a power dynamic, yeah, right? Yeah. If you're not exerting control over, you're allowing people to shape your shared story together. And that's a really respectful and honoring way to show up in the same space to say yeah. that you've got stuff, I've got stuff, and here's where we meet. Um, right. Yeah. When we honoring someone else's dignity may be the most important thing we can do. And, and sometimes, again, painting with really broad strokes, sometimes that's one of the things the church is not great at is is really allowing people to have that dignity, you know, of, of wherever they're. I, I remember I, I might have told this story on the podcast sometime before, but um, when I was in seminary, I had to do you had to do like, the, you know, projects, service project kind of things. And so. Um, I organized a team of people to go um, to um, Athens, Ohio, where there's a, a it's, I don't even want to call it a ministry because it's, that doesn't really paint what it is, but for lack of a better term, it's this ministry that started off for homeless folk or for people experiencing homelessness and kind of expanded into just, you know, how, how do we, how do we neighbor well? with underserved people in our communities. And so they had this Friday night dinner that they served every week and they had different groups. Every Friday would come in and prepare the meal. And so I organized a group to go do that. And, um, and when you get there, like, and most of us who have ever, you know, like served a church dinner, you know, or gone to the local soup kitchen or whatever, have this idea in our heads that we are going to go serve the people who show up. Like we're going to stand behind the table and, you know, scoop sloppy Joe mix out onto their buns or whatever and ask them if they want beans or or peas or what, you know. And we think that's how it's going to go down. And when you show up at this place, the first thing they tell you is now you, you know, fix the meal in our kitchen or finish fixing it. We, we kind of pre-cooked everything. You just had to heat it up and then put it out on this table. And then you and your team go out. There was like a big gymnasium sort of room filled with round tables, go out and don't sit with each other, but sit with people who are already at these tables. And, and then we're just going to, you know, we'll do our little program. And then there will come a point where everybody just gets up and kind of serves themselves the meal. And so, you know, we did that and it was really cool. Like it was because it gave you a chance to actually sit and have the meal with the folks that you, you thought you were there to serve, but it gives you a chance to have more of a relational exchange. Right. And so we, we went through that. And what you start finding out that would happen was um, like you'd sit there and one of those people that you thought you came to serve asks you, like, can I get you a cup of coffee? Or do you need, you know, do you need seconds of anything? Like give them a chance to serve you, which like it, it's uncomfortable at first, you know, and then, and then they start to haze you a little bit, which is fun <laughs> because they know, like, especially if you've never done it before, they know. But at the end of the evening, like after everybody's gone, like the, the, leader of the program would kind of get your team together for a debrief and say, now, how was that different than any other like meal you've ever served? And, you know, we, well, we didn't serve, you know, like we, we sat down there with them and he said, think about what that did for the dignity of the people that you, you thought you came to serve them. And instead you were just with them. And like that had such a massive impact on me in terms of like, how do we authentically show people dignity, allow people's natural dignity to arise? Because we don't even realize we're robbing people of their dignity when we're handing them food. Now, sometimes you have to hand people food. Like, I'm, don't get me wrong, right? But the, and that's, and that's kind of, I, I hope I can kind of circle this back to this whole point of what weird church and these other expressions are. And in, in, in some ways, the simplest way to explain it is we're, we're, we're not robbing people of their dignity while we try to help them navigate spirituality and life. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in, in conversations around, um, like service organizations, the dignity that a person has innately as a human being, as a creation, you know, of, of God as a spiritual being, that is something that, um, the world often forgets about or um, suppresses in such a way that, 
you know, society says, here's the the hierarchy of who you are as a person. And if you're not above this certain level, you're in the caste system. So um, part of the weird church is is saying, like, I, I don't care what what caste level you are, if you've ascended to the top of the capitalist hierarchy, or if you're, you know, not part of the caste hierarchy, um, you can still experience life together. And I, I think that's the kind of um, important community that's necessary, especially in places where um, there's underrepresentation, where there's division, where um, the power differential of the world is already so heavy that it is oppressive, right? Like that, mm. that's also a justice conversation um, because of the, the burden of society, right? If weird Christian church is on Twitter, like that's, that's the place where there's an evening of, um, or a, a leveling out of the power dynamic. Everybody's on the social platform. Um, everybody can, come to this uh, conversation on equal footing. Um, and that's that's revolutionary, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good, Heather. This is all so good. <laughs> like, oh, I wish we had three hours like to unpack all this, but, but we don't. And we've been at it for an hour now, which means we probably um, are coming to the end of, of our time here. Is there anything like, is there anything else you kind of wanted to, to talk about that we haven't covered so far? I, I guess I, I will say that, you know, a, a lot of this is, um, as you had mentioned briefly earlier, I think it's an important caveat to remember that this is a very privileged conversation to be having. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I say privileged in the sense that, like, you know, the fact that we can have expressions of church in a digital world where some places um, – don't experience the world that way, or they're so busy trying to deal with the the trauma of their daily lives that even trying to find community in an, another space is already uh, a non-starter. So I think right. um, there's a really important part of that conversation that should be rooted in, um, you know, the the community where you are also. And um, that's whether it's economically, um, whether it's in regard to uh, sexuality or, or race or conversations around power dynamics and privilege, I think that's really um, an important thing to keep in mind that um, that it should be a centerpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bigger table. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, my friend, thank you so much for spending some time. Um, I, 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 normally, I would ask my guests, you know, if there's if there's any place on the internet where people can find them. But uh, f and and you may have some other places besides what I'm about to say. But you are about to come on board the Accidental Tomatoes team as one of our uh, as one of our regular bloggers. Um, so I'm really excited about that and to to kind of make that announcement to the world <laughs> that. Um, Heather is going to be writing uh, some really cool stuff. And it won't all be weird church stuff. It'll all be weird because it's Heather. But, it's me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so excited that you're you're coming on board to, to do some of that and um, that we're going to get to work together a lot more. Um, but yeah, is there anything else um, out there in the world where folks can connect with you if they want to and find you and... Um, I didn't know you were going to ask that. But yeah, you can find me... Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Instagram uh, at more music two one six. You can find me. Um, so I do a lot of interneting, or you can find me on uh, the Twitch interwebs at Arminiast for WVU because I'm a theologian nerd. Of course. Um, <laughs> or you can find me by the podcast soon to be. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Heather. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I've learned a ton and, and I think, um, I think our listeners are really going to, to have, you know, to get a lot out of this and, and hopefully spark some really good conversation. So thanks again for being part of the Accidental Tomatoes crew, my friend. Sure. Let's keep it weird. 
Oh, that was so good. I want to thank Heather again for a really fun and interesting, and I think a really important conversation. And I'm super excited that she's going to be joining the Accidental Tomatoes team as a regular content creator. I think you're really going to enjoy her contributions to our community. As always, if you're interested in any of the content that we're creating and curating for the Accidental Tomatoes community, you can find us online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. If you have ideas or suggestions for future podcast guests or topics, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find us and contact us through our website, message us on social media, or send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And once again, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in the conversations that we're having together. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us to offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast.